0: Abraham Lincoln Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show.
2: Washington Post had a, a good piece, a Russian soldier's journal. I will not participate in this madness. It's a guy with a name I can't pronounce. He was a Russian paratrooper who spent more than a month fighting in Ukraine after his poorly equipped unit was ordered to march uh, out of there having gotten their asses kicked there at the beginning of the war. He was evacuated after being wounded, and as he spent five weeks in a hospital, he decided to write down all his recollections and publish them uh, on the Russian equivalent of Facebook. He wrote it all down in hopes that telling his country the truth about the war would help stop it. It's a 141-page journal. That just got posted this month. The most detailed day-by-day account to date of the attacks on Kherson and another unpronounceable area in southern Ukraine seen through the eyes of a Russian soldier. The document describes an army in disarray. Commanders clueless and terrified. Equipment old and rusty. Troops pillaging occupied areas in search search of food because of a lack of provisions. Morale plummeting as the campaign stalled. He tells of soldiers shooting themselves in the legs to collect the $50,000 promised by the government and to be able to get out of there. Yeah. Man, the classic, shooting yourself in the foot to get out of something. He describes units being wiped out by friendly fire. He blasts Russian state media for trying to justify a war that the Kremlin had no moral right to wage. They simply decided to shower Ukraine with, Ukraine with the our corpses in this war, he wrote, as he's seen a lot of his fellow soldiers die. Uh, it's pretty grim, by the way. It's long, and I'll just get you a couple of headlines, uh, headlines. But, uh, it's, 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 it's worth a read, but it's definitely sobering. It's not cheery. Um, it may not change anything, he wrote, but I will not participate in this madness. I arrived to the training ground in Crimea. Our entire squadron, about 40 people, all lived in one tent with plank boards and one makeshift stove. Even in Chechnya, where we only lived in tents or mud huts, our living conditions were organized better. This is from the very beginning.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Here we had nowhere to wash up and the food was horrible. For those who arrived later than the rest, mean about five other people, there was neither a sleeping bag, nor camo, nor armor, nor, nor armor or helmets. I finally received my rifle. It turned out that it had a broken belt, was rusty, and kept getting stuck. So I cleaned it with oil for a long time, trying to put it in order. So you get sent into a war zone, you got no weapon, no camo and no helmet. What exactly are you supposed to do? I mean, wow. that is stunning. How could it have been that disorganized from the from the beginning? I understand once, you know, you meet the enemy, all your plans fall apart and supply lines no, and all that no, stuff. No, no,
4: no completely different situation. Yeah. I've got all sorts of great information on that for the next segment.
2: Okay. Um, around February 20th, an order came for everyone to urgently gather and move out, packing lightly. We were supposed to perform a forced march to some unknown location. Some people joked that now we would attack Ukraine and capture Kiev in three days. But already then, I thought it is no time for laughter. I said that if something like this is going to happen. We will not capture anything in three days. The division commander arrived and, congratulating us on the holiday, announced that starting tomorrow our salary per day would be $69. It was a clear sign that something serious was about to happen. Rumors began spreading that we were about to storm Kursan, which seemed like nonsense to me. Everything changed that day. I noticed how people began to change. Some were nervous and tried not to communicate with anybody. Some, frankly, seemed scared. Some, on the contrary, were unusually cheerful. At about 4 a.m., I opened my eyes again and heard a roar, a rumble, a vibration of the earth. I sensed an acrid smell of gunpowder in the air. I looked out of the truck to see the sky lit bright from volleys. It was not clear what was happening, who was shooting from where or at whom, but the weariness from lack of food, water, and sleep disappeared. A minute later, I lit up a cigarette to wake up and realized that the fire was coming from 20 kilometers away ahead of our convoy everyone around me began to wake up and was scared even the commanders were scared you could see it on their face this is from the start that's what it strikes me this is how it started yeah. if it starts this parley and with them having no idea what they're about to do What a weird way, what a weird thing Putin decided to do. Anyways, he gets further into it. It talks about rolling into cities, being shot at by Ukrainians. He was horrified. He and most of the people he was with horrified at the idea of killing Ukrainians for no good reason whatsoever. Some of the people in his unit, either because they're psychopaths or they twisted off under the the pressure, they started shooting Ukrainians willy-nilly and doing horrible things to him. A lot of the robbing was just to survive because they had no food or blankets or anything else. Yeah, yeah. As they rolled through. But it's 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 worth a read. But it's, it's one of the weirder things that has happened in modern world history. One of, in theory, the best militaries in the world sent into another country with none of the soldiers, even the commanders, having the slightest idea what they were doing.
4: So this is a look at corruption in Russia's military uh, information compiled by alert listener Jeff, uh, and he cites his sources, and it goes from, wow, that's interesting, to holy crap. So stay with it. Hang with it. They mention how corrupt the, the military is. Few incidents of military corruption in Russia, more shameless than the destroyer captain who stole the bronze propellers from his own ship, replacing them with cheaper steel ones to net 39 million rubles. Wow. So that's just a for instance.
2: Wow. Stealing the propellers from your own ship.
4: Yes. That's yes. cynical. Old rations, faulty vehicles, missing radios, understrength units, corruption has been blamed for hollowing out Russia's military and undermining its war in Ukraine. It's worth examining this problem and seeing how it's affected the Russian armed forces. Russia is one of the world's most corrupt countries, ranked 136th out of 180. State corruption is endemic. Uh and They go into some of those stats, but I want to get to the military uh Corruption is the thread which holds Putin's regime together, and money in dollars or euros is its lifeblood and Nobody has more of it than Putin himself, at least an estimated two hundred billion dollars salted away in secret funds worldwide. Uh, Like every other state institution in Russia, the armed forces are riddled with corruption at every level. This is nothing new. In his 1854 Sevastopol sketches, Tolstoy wrote of Russian officers, while they are in the service, their main aim is the acquisition of money. Wow. In 1998, Russia's prosecutor general called the Russian armed forces, quote, the most corrupt government structure in Russia. And according to experts, it's actually gotten worse since 1998. So how does corruption in the Russian military operate from the bottom to the top? Corruption starts even before someone joins the military. As famously noted, only the poor or stupid allow themselves to be conscripted. The rest get out of it by bribing a doctor or a recruitment officer. The fee is reportedly between $5,000 and $10,000. Or it was a few years ago. So you come up with 10 you're out of the military. Up to 70% of those summoned for prescription paid their way out of it, leaving the armed forces with the poorest and least healthy 30%. This leaves the Russian military with chronic problems of fitness and efficiency. Colonel General uh, Vladimir Mikhailov stated in 2007 that more than 30% of the 11,000 men conscripted annually into the Russian Air Force were, quote, mentally unstable. More than 30%. 10% suffered from alcohol and drug abuse, and 15% were ill or malnourished. And if you get conscripted, brace yourselves, you'll be treated as the lowest of the low and exploited ruthlessly by older soldiers known as unkdiedi or uncles. This could include being forced into prostitution, doing unpaid labor, or even selling your own blood to earn a few rubles. Wow. Uh, in 2007, conscripts in St. Petersburg told Russian media how older soldiers forced them to perform sexual services for influential middle-aged clients or face torture. Young soldiers were reportedly forced to go with their clients into their cars. The uncles kept the list of providers. Wow. Other soldiers spoke of, quote, being sent out to the park to earn money. It was reportedly possible to pick up a soldier in the center of Moscow or visit a nearby military base where clients could choose one for 100 to $500, money that would go to the uncles, not to the conscript. If you're a contract soldier, a military professional, you're a step up, but you're still exploited. Salaries are low, about 240 bucks a month before the Ukraine war. You may well need to buy your own uniform, boots, and fuel. Compare that to the American Armed Forces, by the way. Uh Newer uniforms and boots of the right size are often unavailable because they've been stolen or sold off. Uh, the military sells off what, the, what they have. The officers in charge of it. They just sell it off for their own profit. So you go to the quartermaster, he doesn't have anything. So you have to buy your own online. Ironically, ex-NATO surplus boots are reportedly favorites for their comforts and durability.
2: Wow. So that's how you end up with the situation of that guy we were talking about last segment, before the war even starts. You don't have a working gun. You don't have a helmet. You don't have camo. You don't have a sleeping bag. You don't have anything because it's all been stolen. Yeah.
4: Yeah. Uh, you may also need to pay for your own accommodation. Although you will get a bed in a barracks for free, you may find it's unheated because the money for electricity has been stolen or otherwise gone unpaid by your officers, uh, which is not much fun in Russia's cold climate. There are, however, compensations to being a low-ranking soldier or junior officer. You may be posted to a military depot. These offer endless opportunities for theft. A a veto, Russia's equivalent of eBay, is full of advertisements for likely stolen items of military equipment. Russian bloggers are currently crowdsourcing money to buy equipment for the frontline troops in Ukraine. They've got almost literally GoFundMe pages to get guns to the guys on the front lines. Uh, many of the items they're buying were likely stolen from Russian military depots in the first place. These are very good times for corrupt quartermasters. Even tanks aren't immune to the plague of looting. When reserve T-72s were shipped from storage depots to go to Ukraine in March 2022, they reportedly arrived without electronics, optics, or even engines. All had been looted or stripped out. Only one in ten was reportedly usable. In one remarkable instance, a 72-ton prefabricated Panzer 2PU command bunker was stolen from a military base at uh, Leningrad in early 2020. Investigators were unable to discover what happened to it, but it was most likely taken for the metal scrap value. In a similar incident, a submariner in the, I'm sorry, submariner. My brother, the submariner, would uh, correct me. In the Northern Fleet stole parts of devices for controlling a nuclear submarine's reactor. He stole and sold rheostats made of very expensive palladium vanadium alloy, uh, but disabled the reactor in the process. Not a good idea. And it goes on and on
2: and on. Well, it's so self-defeating, but it's just the culture. And I suppose they have a feeling of, look, everybody else is stealing. My not stealing isn't going to make a dent, so I need to get some.
4: And the officers steal some or all of their men's wages as they are paid in cash. It goes into some detail on that. Non-existent troops, by the way, and there are quite a few, are known as dead souls after a classic Gogol poem.
2: Um, Yet this military is laying waste to Ukraine and killing lots and lots of innocent people we got to find an enormous cost to both sides. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Armstrong and Getty. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. What a personal privilege. Don't get brazen with me. The Armstrong and Getty Show.
2: I didn't buy a Tesla because um, I certainly didn't buy it because I think about the environment. (laughs) I I don't. Maybe I should, but I don't. Maybe that makes me a bad person, but... I didn't buy it for that reason. I mostly bought it because it's super fast, and I heard it had a great stereo. So that's why I bought my Tesla. And uh, gas was super expensive at the time, so I thought that's a nice little added benefit there. It's it given me a window into how successful I think the whole electric car thing will be, um, and the technology will get better over the years. But, man, we aren't there yet. The car that I've got has got a range of about 330 miles, which is... That's about
4: as good as it gets.
2: That's isn't as it? good as it gets. Most of your electric cars out there, way shorter. Like I have a friend who drives a Chevy Volt. It goes 50 miles. If you're it, 50? Yeah. The, wow. advan- the advantage of that is then it switches over to gas. So at least you oh. can stop at a gas station. But the, the electric car thing, it would seem to me right now is great if you live in a, and live a lifestyle where you're going to stay. Or, like if you're taking the kids to school and going to run to the grocery store and work isn't that far away. For most electric cars, that works pretty good, and and and, uh, but for most, not. I mean, like the car I have is really expensive. It goes three hundred some miles, but I did a long trip over the weekend, and I gotta say, haven't gone through the whole experience. If I was gonna do it again, and I had another vehicle that ran on gas, I'd probably drive the vehicle that ran on gas. I mean, it is enough of a pain in the ass. I have to find charging stations and then wait for it to charge and then constantly be worried about, do I have enough to get me to the next wherever? Mm. As opposed to gas where, you know, you run low on gas. There's a gas station freaking within a block of you everywhere you ever are. Right. And it takes you like two minutes to fill the damn thing up. And so that's just my personal experience. Even even though I'm like emotionally leaning toward it, wanting to be a good idea. Mm
3: hmm.
4: How long does it take to recharge for a trip uh, during a trip like that?
2: If I want to completely recharge from like nothing to 300, it'd probably take 45 minutes at Oof. one of the fastest cha- charging stations. But you don't really want to ever get down that low because what if I'm too far from the next charging station? See, so you, you, you know, you don't ever want to get that far down below 100 before you're looking for a charging station. And right. Yeah. It's, it's not, it's not super convenient. And all the, so I've got a Tesla. Elon's the only person that's put out a infrastructure to even make this possible. They are all over the place, but they're not super convenient. They're at the top of a lot of parking garages. So you have to go in the parking garage. Some Sometimes pay to have been in there and go clear to the top floor, which takes 15 minutes. Probably get to the top and the bottom, uh both directions. And you're parked up there and they're full. Lots of times they're full. There's like mm-hmm. one stall empty because there's so many Tesla drivers. There. I was I left a restaurant in Los Angeles and. And went to the top of a parking garage, and this is as urban as it's gonna get anywhere in the world. And I went to the top of a parking garage, there was one slot open there where fifteen Teslas charging at one o'clock in the morning. Wow. And so there's just not the infrastructure. It's a it's you're you're, and that's in LA. And that's in LA. Come on. There just isn't the infrastructure for the electric car thing now or anytime soon. Let alone the producing the electricity part, which is the part of the airways talking about. How are we going to produce all this electricity? Yeah. So yeah. it's just it's just not ready. It, it's a lie to pretend. That, you know, when Joe Biden does all the driving around an electric car and all that sort of stuff, and meeting at the what? We're not even close to that being the dominant way people travel.
4: Yeah, I've always thought that if you're a multi-car household, maybe you're an individual or a couple or whatever. You've got to have uh, an electric car for local and then yep, that, your that, your gas car to take trips. I
2: think that is the most likely scenario is that you have your you're a two car family and one of them's electric. But it yeah, like I said, if I was gonna do it again, I would take the gas powered vehicle. It's just easier. Hmm. Um so you can talk your green New Deal all you want. We ain't there yet. Oh, my God, the technology, at the risk of driving this into
4: the ground, the technology that exists right now is a 1,000 miles away from being able to take over and power the country. It's, it's its just its a joke.
2: I'm sure we'll get there. I believe we will get there, and we will be driving electric cars, but it ain't going to be next year. It's not going to be by 2030 or whatever they're claiming.
4: No, if I had to guess, if I had to guess, I'd say maybe in 20 years. It could be. That's a long way away, though. A concerted effort by both parties and several leaps forward in technology.
3: Start saving now at GameBridge.io. Please visit GameBridge.io/ParityFlex for current rates, for product disclosures and disclaimers, and other important information.
0: From the Abraham Lincoln Radio Studio, at the George Washington Broadcast Center, Jack Armstrong
1: and Joe
4: Getty, and now he is Armstrong and Getty. Fabulous, fabulous editorial in the National Review by the National Review Board. I'm going to hit you within a minute or two. Uh, Britain making a huge change in how it deals with transgenderism and children. a his- An historic change, if you will. But first, a couple of uh, people you might want to hear from. Uh, clip number 16, Michael's a professor at Children's Mercy Hospital explaining how not giving puberty-blocking chemicals to children is a form of psychological abuse.
5: So whether the parents fully understand it or not, transgender children going through puberty of their own gender is harmful in this special way. So as we've seen, refusing puberty blocking treatment prevents immediate and intense psychological harm, and second, it causes lasting and irreversible physical harm. So we can compare the parents of transgender children opposed to um, physician-recommended treatment to naturalist parents, So parents who misuse traditional or mistrust uh, traditional Western medicine, regardless of whether these parents have good intentions, these children are often at risk of harm. So in various cases, the courts have ruled that naturalist parents are required to treat their children according to traditional principles of Western medicine. Um, Not only that, but they're criminally liable if they don't do so. So arguably a similar, similar case could be made with of
2: transgender children but before the we get to the topic matter what is it with the people with really crazy ideologies sounding so weird like i don't gascon in la i mean what is it with the people these out there crazy like 99 percent of us don't agree with them weird ideologies sound so strange
4: I don't know, but they're trying to uh, bully everyone into silence. Again, if you did not understand that, there was a professor at a major medical institution saying, if uh, a parent of a confused adolescent girl says, no, we're not going to feed you puberty blockers and let you get surgery, they are psychological abusers and should be prosecuted. Right. Second, this is Christy Olazeski from Yale Medicine, talking about how they help kids as young as three years old along their gender journey.
5: I'm a clinical psychologist by training, and I am the director of the Yale Gender Program, which is
4: an interdisciplinary program working with gender-expansive
1: individuals, three to 25, and their families. We um help individuals who are questioning their gender identity or who identify as transgender or non-binary. We
5: help them with their gender journey, um, thinking through that, thinking through the risks and the benefits of uh, medical intervention, uh, starting medical intervention,
4: um, and also building supports around them. And I love what I do, so it's really, really wonderful to, to be working in this field and to be
5: Working with individuals who are gender diverse and gaining their support and helping them on their gender journeys.
4: Their gender journeys. This woman has the smile of the cultist on her face the entire time and this weird look in
2: her eyes. She works for Yale, for goodness sakes. Okay. Anybody who thinks a kid has any idea of gender or any of that sort of stuff at three either has never had kids or is a crazy person. These are people who, if your little boy puts on a princess
4: dress at age three, will help him on his gender journey, okay? In Juxtap- irreversible medical ways. Uh, juxtapose that with what's happening in Great Britain. All of you progressives who are constantly looking to Europe for an example, this is from the editorial board of the National Review. By the spring of 2023, Britain's state-run transgender youth clinic will shut its doors for good. The National Health Service in England announced it was closing the Tavistock Gender Identity Clinic last month after an independent report concluded that it was, quote, not safe or viable long-term option for gender-confused young children. The report, conducted by the former president of the Royal College of Pediatrics and Child Health, found that patients were, quote, at considerable risk from clinicians' unquestioning affirmative approach, meaning whisking them along the conveyor belt of let's change your sex. Soon after, a London-based legal firm announced a class-action lawsuit on behalf of a 1,000 families whose, quote, children and young adolescents were rushed into treatment and as a result suffered, quote, life-changing and in some cases irreversible effects. I should have pointed out, as I usually do when we discuss this, if you're an adult, do what you want. Be who you want to be. It's none of my business, and I wish you nothing but health and happiness. Be who, this who is you about...
2: want to be. Go where you want to go. Oh,
4: my. Uh, this is about children. Entirely children. Skeptics of this wicked experiment, writes the National Review, rightly feel vindicated by the clinic's demise. But this is hardly consolation to its victims. No lawsuit, however successful, will ever restore what has been taken from them. Their peace of mind, fertility, sexual functioning, and even healthy body parts. But rather than heed this warning, the United States continues to move full speed ahead with so-called gender-affirming care. Quote, to see what's in front of one's nose needs a constant struggle, George Orwell wrote. And England's Tavistock Gender Clinic has been the focus of intense national scrutiny in large part thanks to journalists and especially those at the liberal-leaning Times of London doing their jobs. When journalists noticed that referrals to the clinic had increased 20-fold in the past decade, from about 250 a year to 5,000 in 2021, they asked the obvious question, why? Again, this is a liberal newspaper. Thanks to their dogged reporting, the truth was set loose. At the behest of activists, vulnerable patients were being fast-tracked into wildly experimental treatment, while clinicians, later whistleblowers, who objected, were being silenced. Ordinary citizens were appalled. They put pressure on the government to intervene. Popular figures such as J.K. Rowling, the Harry Potter author, weighed in. That's how she became such a controversial figure and is so hated now by progressives in the U.S. The National Health Service's decision to shut down the clinic was a remarkable concession, an acknowledgement of harm, and a recognition that a major course correction was needed. Learning from these mistakes, the British government is now much more cautious about transgender ideology. For instance, the British Attorney General recently clarified that schools do not have to abide by students' preferred pronouns and that restrooms must be kept single sex.
2: Wow, they went as far as you don't have to abide by the pronouns.
4: Right. The outgoing Prime Minister Boris Johnson also made clear his party's commitment to acknowledging the biological reality of sex. But the Biden administration is in a far, far different and more disturbing place. The Assistant Secretary of Health, Rachel, formerly Richard Levine, vows to support and empower young people. That's a quote. And quote, to get gender affirmation treatment. The Department of Education's new Title IX guidance actively encourages schools to expand the definition of sex to include gender identity and the definition of sexual harassment to include sex-specific pronouns. So if you don't play the pronoun game, you'll be sued under Title IX. Across the country, gender clinics are becoming more numerous and brazen in their recklessness. The Boston Children's Hospital, which I will uh, jump in and say, is like so many of these places funded by the Pritzker family. J.B. Pritzker, the governor of Illinois, and his billionaire family who have a transgender sister or cousin or whatever, they fund all of this stuff. One family. They've given out tens of millions of dollars. Anyway, uh, across the country, gender clinics are becoming more numerous and brazen than their recklessness. The Boston Children's Hospital has a promotional video advertising gender-affirming hysterectomies for adolescent girls. And the Children's Hospital of Pittsburgh has a similar one for puberty blockers. Like the Tavistock, the closed British one, their motivation is ideological. But unlike the Tavistock, they've added a monetary incentive. Of course, Americans have been asking the same questions that were asked of the Tavistock, only they have been ignored and maligned by the mainstream media and liberal politicians. When Lisa Littman, a medical doctor and researcher at Brown University, first identified the phenomenon of, quote, rapid-onset gender dysphoria... Uh, which is peer and social contagion among trans-identifying youth, she was smeared. Meanwhile, clinical activists are doing everything in their power to obscure the truth by propagating biased and methodologically bankrupt research. They're desperate to dismiss or downplay the testimony of detransitioners. In the United States, victims of gender clinicians are having a harder time with lawsuits than their British counterparts, owing to the falsely asserted standards of care as well as narrower statutes of limitations. The activist strategy has been to assert a medical consensus that doesn't exist. Levine claimed that when it comes to gender-affirming care, quote, There's no argument among medical professionals and that pushback would, quote, drive people to suicide. That dishonesty is unbelievable and unsustainable. As Britain turns its back on transgender ideology, the medical and moral consensus insisted on by the activists is revealed as a preposterous sham, obscuring an even more shameful scandal. Amen. That's something. It's a tiny number. Of ideological terrorists who are willing to kill your career for instance if you dare disagree with them and again only thing I'm talking about is children if you're an adult you have a transgender issue or what have you you do whatever you think is necessary and again I wish you a great outcome and a happy life as young as three can you imagine anything sicker? It's just, it's unbelievable. And and yet, I mean, with the activists have targeted us. We'll get all sorts of how dare yous and, and who knows what else. Um, but, but if you think all this stuff is crazy and you can speak out about it, please do. Or they will win.
2: It's got to be a really tough situation if you happen to be a married couple and don't agree on this stuff. Oh my gosh, yeah. That would—I mean—you talk about something that would would actually tear you apart. Oh my god. If one of you thinks no, our four-year-old thinks she's a boy and or is a boy, and we need to, you know, make that happen. What are you crazy? Is the other side? There'd be no bridging that gap. Yeah, that's a tough one. And and it's so interesting. It's so often
4: college educated women who are desperate to be seen as good people and not not haters.
2: And so if they're anti-science they think they they're on the side of science, I guess. Well, I think it's it's much more
4: Yeah, I suppose so. Um but so when their six-year-old little boy wants to play with dolls, they are enthusiastic about it. Because if they embrace that, that's a, that's proof that they're a good person in their cycles. And especially white women who are desperate not to be the oppressor in critical theory. And so, okay, I'm, I'm an affluent white woman. I'm clearly at the top of the totem pole. I'm the oppressor. I'm a bad person. And women especially, uh, you know, in general, are desperate not to be seen as bad people. They want to belong and form coalitions. And so, how do you become a non-oppressor by becoming an enth- enthusiastic cheerleader for uh this uh, gender bending stuff, queer theory? It's it's really it's if it were not so troubling, it would be almost funny.
0: Armstrong and Getty.
3: Start saving now at GameBridge.io. Please visit GameBridge.io slash ParodyFlex for current rates, for-product disclosures and disclaimers, and other important information.
0: Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. I got my on. The Armstrong and Getty
2: Show. So, I got on a Twitter thread about Kamala Harris that I found pretty amusing. <laughs> we're gonna play another we're gonna play another clip of Kamala Harris talking. What is it about her speaking style that is so annoying or off putting? And I want you to listen to it with that in mind, but Oh oh, oh what is it? It's a list. She's a master class in annoying. Here's somebody, a blue check mark. I don't know, who said everybody who has worked in an office has worked with somebody like this, with the clip of her, t- her talking. Tim Sandefur said, oh my god, this woman is a phenomenon. <laughs> she is a phenomenon. It's worth studying what she does. And Tim also said, because you're not going to see the visual, I love how she not only does not actually say anything at all, but even her hand gestures aren't really hand gestures, but just some sort of vague weaving motions.
4: <laughs> <laughs> he, here is my favorite part of this clip. Again, something to enjoy. The many ways she's annoying and how it's utterly impossible to figure out what she's talking about it is vacuosity made magnificent anyway
2: here we go
5: we know that we really are quite behind in terms of maximizing our collective understanding about how we will engage on the technology of today and what we can quickly and easily predict will be the technology over the next decades. So to maintain our position as the United States of America on this issue, it is critical that we work together to understand where we are, to recognize and have the courage to speak truth about what is obsolete, and then to partner to ensure that we are speaking the same language with the same motivation, inspired by the opportunity of it all, But then doing the work of updating how we've been talking and thinking about our exploration in space.
4: Oh, space. What? The entire first
2: half of it has like no nouns. It's just phrases strung together. So I don't want to be unfair or mean here, but everybody seems to react the same way to her speaking. What is, what is it going on there? Why, why is it so annoying or off putting or hard to follow? Is it just way too many asides, caveats, uh, whatever you call those where there's like a comma and another phrase, comma and another phrase? Yeah, I would say, and, and I haven't made
4: notes or anything, and I probably should because it's, it's fascinating to me. You have to start with her tone of voice. Oh, yeah. Which yeah. is nasal and annoying and has a significant element of know-it-all. <laughs> so you, you've got to start there. She does not have a musical or interesting way of varying her tone. Or pitch to anything like that. So it's very uh, mon- monotonous. And then her catch, her stringing together of smart sounding phrases that don't say anything.
2: True. Yeah. A lot of the phrases that make it longer, but not uh, uh, more informative. There's a lot of that going on. There's not yeah. more information. There are just more words. Yeah. Boy.
4: And we, we, uh, Everybody has worked with somebody like that. There was another comment that this is the voice of every boss who rose above their level of competence,
2: <laughs> which is exactly what she has done.
4: Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. 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 She got there the hard way. I had never. Tireless really... campaigning. What were you thinking? I <laughs> had, I
2: had, hadn't ever really uh, keyed in on her hand gestures. Though. I'll have to do that the next time I actually watch a video of her speaking of the. And weaving her arms around while she's doing her various phrases and said, "We will, and we should, and we need to all together remember that." And true. And secondly, we should also.
5: What are we talking yeah. about? Yeah. <laughs> do we have any uh,
2: uh, uh,
4: classic Kamala handy? Michael? Oh my god! It is y'all. time
5: for us to do what we have been doing, and that time is every day. Yeah, that will be her Hall of Fame speech.
4: Oh, uh, Wow. Wow, do we have an ANG t shirt that has that on the front? Oh wow, I would wear that, I think. Yeah.
2: <laughs> wow. So what a mess. And can you imagine if the old guy kicks off? Well, yeah, and then I you, Joe is absolutely right shouting that the presidential election is two years from now. But uh, it's so crazy on both sides. I mean, it's it's unprecedented. Yeah. In so many different ways. Both sides are so unique in their own way. Oh, yeah. The, the the Trump thing with his power, and he lost once, and the person who loses doesn't end up being in charge of the party. Walter Mondale wasn't in charge of anything. George H.W. Bush wasn't in charge of anything. Al Gore wasn't in charge of anything. But Trump right. is. And then you got the the wide open, as we just heard from Kamala, with the with the 150-year-old president. What the, What's going to happen there? I mean, it's just so... It's so wide open, I, I can't even imagine what's going to happen. Yeah, and
4: by the way, as a consumer of cable news, probably more than is healthy, the next person who 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 asked, will you support Joe Biden? Do you support Joe Biden right. running again? I'm going to attack you with my hands. Right. All right? I abhor violence. What an idiotic conversation. The, just the and, and we talk about, quote-unquote, politics here, so if this makes me half a hypocrite, fine. But the whole who's in,
2: who's out. As opposed to policy, as opposed to governance, as opposed to things that affect your life. I just, I don't know. I also, I uh, I also don't get any enjoyment. I don't understand the point out of, and some of my favorite, favorite journalists do this, but the asking anybody, whether it's Larry Hogan or Tim Scott or whoever. So are you running? You, you haven't ruled it out. You, what you just said doesn't mean you're, what's the effing point of that? Who, what are, they'll announce when they announce. They either are or they aren't. I don't know. And the whole—I don't know why every politician doesn't answer with "Yeah, I support Joe Biden." Because if he decides not to run, and you're—it's easy to get out of. Well, because maybe they don't want to be uh, caught on tape supporting a
4: senile guy who's not going to run ever
2: again, who has a thirty percent approval rating. Yeah, Flat, it's a bad, bad look. I, I just talked myself out of it. Yeah, you can't support a guy who's got a thirty percent approval rating. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Um, that's definitely enough of that. That's more than enough of that.
0: No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
3: This message comes from Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, destination-focused dining, and cultural enrichment on board and on shore. And every Viking voyage is all-inclusive, with no children and no casinos. Discover more at Viking.com.